Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Grace Church Online. We are in week two of our series entitled Plastic Surgery. This week's messages are led by the Reverend Doug Rary and the Reverend Dr. John Guest, and will also feature the testimony of one of our congregation members who will be sharing about some of the things that God is doing in the life of him and his wife. Now, here is Pastor John with his message for this week. Thank you for listening. Bow your heads with me as we talk to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here. That unique way in which you have promised that when two or three are gathered together in your name, you will be present. So walk amongst us, Lord Jesus. Visit with us one by one. Thank you, Lord, that every single one of us is important to you. You haven't missed our presence here this morning. And just as you want to visit with us and speak with us, knowing our hearts and knowing our needs, I pray again that you would take my lips and speak through them, that you would take our minds and think through them, that you would take our wills and bend them to your own, that you would take our hearts one by one. You would take our hearts and fill them with joy and rejoicing and gratitude to you, our Lord, our Savior, our friend. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let me ask you to do a couple of things right now. Go to your service sheet and take out your weekly update. I want to draw your attention to one more announcement that I only spotted myself this morning. It's at the bottom of the back page of this weekly update. It has to do with the very celebration that we are enjoying here this morning of our veterans on this very Veterans Day, the 11th of November. But you see the veterans' breakfast that's announced there, the last announcement but one, and it's this week in the barn, 8.30. If you read your way through it, you would see that it's a $12 expense for a beautifully catered breakfast and to come and hear our veterans tell their stories. So you don't have to be a veteran to come, and it can be men or women. This is not just a men's breakfast, which so often we do have here, but for any of you who would come. So mark that, give that some consideration, and see whether you could be here. Many of you could be this Wednesday in the barn and be a part of that veterans breakfast now it is my joy and privilege as well to speak to you this morning on this veterans day and to say thank you to you america for coming to our aid in the second world war i could say the first world war as well but i wasn't around in those days And what we now call, just as Pastor Jamie told you at the beginning of the service, what we now call Veterans Day was originally called Armistice Day. 
And it was at the 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour that armistice was called for in the First World War. It was the official close of the First World War. And I'm not sure what they did here in America, but I know in England, and it continued for years, England stood still for one minute on that 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Stopped. Traffic stopped. Everything stopped. And for a minute's silence, said thank you to God for the close of that war. And that's been turned into Veterans Day as we honor all veterans from all wars. And I was a little boy growing up in England, sleeping in air raid shelters, seeing the American soldiers, sailors, and air forcemen on the streets of England by the thousands. And we in England, once that war was ended, all of us knew that outside of America coming into that war, we could never have survived. And the world would be a very, very different place had you not come. Not just England, not just Europe, the whole world. And in your coming into that conflict, you really saved Judeo-Christian values and heritage which have characterized Western civilization for all our sins and failures, the root and foundation of it all, what God has taught us from his word would have been destroyed with Nazism. Thank you, thank you, United States of America. I say that from those of us in Europe who still remember and are grateful. Thank you very much. Now having said that, we have amongst us a couple of men who actually fought in that war. One of them, Warren Goss, landed on the beaches of Normandy and for the years that followed through to the Battle of the Bulge, which was the last desperate effort of Nazi Germany against our troops, Warren Goss fought in Europe from Normandy through the Battle of the Bulge. Warren, if you are around, I don't know where you are. If you're back in here, please stand. Would you, Warren, where are you? Right over there. Thank you. You could be getting up again in just a moment. Because over here somewhere is Walter. Where is our Walter? Walter Reddy. Will you please stand? Let me tell you, while you're standing, remain standing, Walter, if you could just for a moment. Walter flew in, uh, what kind of a B number was it? A B? 17? Bomber? 22 missions over Europe and the average survival rate 
of bombers going into Europe, over Europe, in the Second World War was only eight missions. And Walter flew 22 missions and survived. Thank you, Lord. Say thank you to Walter as well. may be seated. And I say thank you to you men, that little boy that you helped save. Oh Lord, thank you for these men, their families, and all the associates and friendships and their memories of those days, and that they have survived it all and are with us today. Thank you for the freedoms we enjoy. They are precious. And as we come to your word and transpose from these memories to new moments with you, life-changing moments, that you would make these moments count forever and for the well-being of our nation and this world, these very moments, as we bring ourselves as subjects before you, the Lord, and hear what you have to say to us about how we invest our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let me put it in these terms. And I am not exaggerating for effect which we preachers can do. And most public speakers, politicians, whomever, can exaggerate for effect. But we are in a battle today, this day, for the soul of our nation. We are in a battle, a fierce battle. We are in a battle today for the souls of our cities, like Pittsburgh, Chicago, Detroit, Miami, New York, Los Angeles. You could go major metropolitan area by major metropolitan area. We are in a battle for the souls of our cities. And that battle no less rages, as amazing as it may sound to you, one by one in your lives. So while we speak in vast and huge terms, battle for the soul of a nation, battle for the soul of a city, that battle is fought in our lives one at a time, in my life and yours. I want to ask you, have you any idea of that battle? When I spoke about the soul of our nation, you had some idea. Maybe because of your knowledge of what Urban Impact is doing in our city and you see the bad news of the kind of slaughter on the streets of our cities day after day after day, you may have some idea. But to realize that it comes down to us one by one and how we invest our lives. And when we're speaking of investments... I particularly address 
the issue of how we spend our money, what we do with our financial resources and the assets that are ours economically, what we do with them. You know that we've got time that we spend, we've got talent and ability which we use, and we have treasure, conveniently with three T's, time, talent, and treasure. Treasure meaning real economic dollars and cents value. We spend them all, but how do we use them? I think most of you are aware that these last midterm elections across our nation had billions and billions and billions of dollars spent. It's probably been the most expensive midterm elections ever. What's that about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's folks who realize what's going on in our nation and have spent a fortune promoting what they think should be the future of our nation. And I will tell you this. While I understand the political nature of the division, and from my vantage point it is wickedness against goodness, it's about the truth of our heritage against those who would change our heritage and change our nation. It's a battle for the soul of our nation and an uprooting of those values and a replacement of those values with another set of values which would destroy our nation. That's the battle. And people have invested billions of dollars, this time around only. Watch out for two years down the road. But the power to transform a nation is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in the kingdom of God. It's in all that Jesus Christ came and gave himself for that God would become a human being become one of us and in the Lord Jesus Christ bring about the transformation in every department of life not just politics but all that we are and all that we have because when he died on the cross he died to redeem us from the darkness of this world just as our prayer that special prayer of the day in your service. As Pastor Jamie read that prayer and led us in prayer to pray that prayer, is to destroy the works of the devil, a different kingdom of darkness and death and destruction. The power of that kingdom, God's kingdom, to destroy the works of the devil and the darkness that encroaches and comes in upon us and is ever vigilant as we must be vigilant concerning our freedoms. You need to know as followers of Jesus Christ we have to be vigilant 
and be aware of the real battle that's going on behind the scenes of all the political battles, the educational battles, the economic battles, the relational battles, the societal battles. It's much deeper than just politics or personal values. It's God's kingdom versus the kingdom of Satan and the darkness of this world. And God's kingdom was brought to this earth in the name and in the presence and in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're praying is that everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross and by his resurrection, and now by his Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, he's made us like a new and mighty army of ambassadors for that kingdom, messengers and communicators of a new way of life, a new set of values, a new sense of destiny. It's all a gift in Christ. And the battle he fought was more fierce, it may sound an exaggeration, but if we could just grasp the battle fought on the cross of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Satan came after Jesus, as Judas betrayed him, as the religious leadership of his nation in that day took him and betrayed him, and as his going to the cross and dying was a fierce battle, fiercer than all the other battles of the world and history put together. Um, can you grasp that? I can't, I can't. It's so vast. And yet we deal with the cross as if it's just another memento, some nice Christian traditional memorial. It was a fierce, fierce battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan and darkness. And Jesus won that battle in dying on the cross and walking from the grave alive. He won that battle. And that same Jesus is here, the one we talk to, the one we've invited into our lives, if so be it we have. Because I don't take it for granted that all of us have. And one of two of you yet are in the middle of your personal battle as to whether you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Right here, this morning. That's the battle. And amazingly, isn't it amazing that I come, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this moment, a precious moment to say, I come to communicate this to you through the action of one poor, little, diminutive, sad, broken-hearted widow that Jesus watched throw a couple of copper coins into the treasure chest. If you turn to page 6 in your service sheet, or if, if you have your Bibles, to Mark chapter 12 passage that uh, Staff Sergeant Ron Fontanese read to you. Verse 41 
of Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now let me describe that scene for you. The temple treasury had this huge chest and there were like funnel-like entrances to that treasure chest kind of like the cornucopia trumpet shaped entrance to the treasure chest and people would put their money into that and when it speaks about the offering it's not speaking about the tithes these are special offerings these are in addition to their tithes let me explain for those of you who don't know But the standard giving, the minimal standard of giving in God's Word, the Bible, is 10% of all that we take in each day, each week, each year. That's a tithe. T-I-T-H-E is 10%. And God regards that money as money that we will take from all the money he's given to us. It all comes from him. And we reinvest that specifically in his kingdom work. And that's the norm. And then there were special offerings for one reason or another. And the treasure chest in the temple with these speaker-like openings into which the money was poured is what Jesus was sitting, looking at, and watching. So Jesus, the people watcher, watching what was going on, his disciples nearby at hand. He saw, still in verse 41, many rich people throw in large amounts, threw it in. It would clang and rattle. Most money in those days, I I would venture to say all money, there was no paper money. Whether they were gold coins, silver coins, pewter coins, whatever kind of coins. And it would make a row. And of course, the more money you threw in, the louder it was, and the more people knew that you'd given that much more. And along comes the little widow. Verse 42, a poor widow, a poor widow, all widows were poor. They had no one to back them up in those days, the widow. That's why the Bible has so much to say about caring for the widows. They were virtually helpless in those days to support themselves and their families. So the poor widow came and put two very small copper coins with only a fraction of a penny, this translation, NIV, a few cents as it was read to you by Staff Sergeant Ron Fontanese. A few cents. Jesus was watching this. And he called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. 
but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And what Jesus deals with there is both the heart and the relativity of this kind of giving. He didn't besmirch or put down the wealthy putting in their money. He didn't misrepresent or try to misrepresent their motives, which it's easy for us to do. But what he did distinguish was between the immense wealth that they put in out of an even more immense wealth to distinguish that from the two copper coins the poor widow put in, which was all she had. And relatively speaking, he said, and that would be absolutely true as from the heart, she put in everything, everything she owned. In gambling terms, with the kingdom of God, she was all in. She shoved all her chips onto the table. Everything. Now let me say, simply in passing, you and I, in this church, this morning, are part of the top 3% of wealth in all the world's history. The top 3%. Because when I mentioned wealthy people, you all thought guaranteed of someone else. And I am speaking to you. You, in the history of this world, and even to this present day in this world, are at least in the top 3% of all people in all history regarding your wealth. So we are the people who can give out of the discretionary money of all that we possess to the work of the kingdom of God in this battle for the soul of America and for the soul of our cities. And that battle rages within you as to what you will do with your money and with your resources. My prayer, and I am sure the intercessory prayer of Jesus in glory, is that you and I would invest our lives lock, stock, and barrel investing in the kingdom of God. Like Jesus said, seek first the what? The kingdom of God. Seek first. That's first priority. With our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. What we do with our lives in total. It's not lost on us, is it, that the the Bible teaches very clearly that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, that price, the blood of Christ on the cross. We are not our own. We belong to him. Not just 10% of our money, all of our money. Not a few voluntary hours that we give to serving one way or another. All of our life, when we go to work or school, to the store, to a sports event, we belong to him. So one of the old hymns says this, all to Jesus I surrender. Gladly I give all to him. There's another hymn that says this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
What a statement. Oh, that all that we did is done in a kingdom context, in the presence of Jesus. We are his. We're all his. And the tithe is the beginning, the baseline of any of our giving. How do we do with that? Do you know the Bible says, will a man rob God? And the religious people said, well, how are we robbing you? He said, you are robbing me of your tithe and your offering. And that's just the baseline robbery. You all received, as did I, a letter in the mail and a pledge card this week, if you belong at Christ Church or if you're on our mailing list. I want you to go home and seriously pray together about what you're going to do. I'm going to call a man out now, Ben Follett, who's been waiting patiently, I think in the wings here, to come and tell you about his own personal experience. Ben, I'm glad you dressed up for church this morning. Right here. He's, I guarantee you he's a Wilson Hall third service worshipper. You're going to get on me when I'm going to talk about tithing, about yeah. what I'm wearing? Jeez. I'm only just giving you a fun, hard time. Go for it. Awesome. And then you can get ready to applaud afterwards. Okay, folks? Go for it. Ben. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so uh, I was talking to Doug who asked me to... Uh, give a testimony on tithing, and I'll be honest, I wasn't overly comfortable with it because I don't ever, it's not a huge part of my testimony. I don't often talk about tithing, but uh, thankfully, my wife, when we got married 10 years ago, really kind of drove it into uh, our life that tithing was super important. Applause for the wife. (laughs) (laughs) She's not here. She was at first service, but um, so, you know, so we've We've faithfully given for 10 years, uh, as long as we've been married, you know, to our church, to missionaries that, that have really impacted our lives. But, you know, it really isn't always out of a joyful heart, and that's just the truth. Um, and, and for me, you know, I, I work in the corporate world, and, you know, so in a lot of cases, you know, where we, we, we get money, we get stuff, and we go buy something, we expect an immediate return. And, and in many ways, sometimes that's what we expect from God um, when we when we give and, and that's the way that God works in some people's lives. And I've seen it work in their, in people's lives like that, but it's certainly not the way that God has really kind of taught me through tithing. And so, um, a, a kind of a quick, quick story about me, you know, uh, I've always been blessed to have a, a, a really great job. And, um, you know, I never really either growing up or as we've been married, I've never really kind of worried about money. Not that we had too much, just, it just wasn't something that I was overly concerned with, but, over the last few years, my wife and I have struggled to start a family. And for anybody that's gone through that, it's, it's wrecking. It's, it's really hard. And so, um, but during that time, we knew without a shadow of a doubt that we were supposed to be parents. Um, that I was, I knew specifically that God was calling me to be a dad. And so, with that, we ultimately decided to trust that God was going to provide for us, even though the next steps, when we couldn't have kids on our own, was to start a process of procedures and medications and stuff like that. And so, but that was going to be really difficult on us financially. We didn't really know what to do. And, um, you know, it wasn't long after we started the whole process that, um, you know, I received a letter in the mail and I don't get mail anymore. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't often get mail. And so, um, or mail that I actually don't just throw away. Um, and so, I got this, this card from my aunt and uncle in Delaware, and, and they didn't really, I didn't talk to them about it. I didn't, they didn't know anything about what we were going through, um, unless someone else had told them, but 
Um, in the card, and, and I'll read a piece of it now, but um, was a check for that covered exactly the amount of medicine that we had just bought from my wife, and it, it wasn't a little bit. And so, but really, what got me was what my uncle wrote to me, and he said, uh, "You know, we know that you really can't can't buy God's blessing, but if it helps to put some of the worry or stress behind you, then we hope it helps. You two give so much of yourselves to your church and to your youth group, and we hope this gift gift allows you to breathe a little easier." And if you know me, I'm not an overly emotional person, um, but seeing how God showed up, um, you know, when we needed him, even though we kind of didn't expect it to happen that way, you know, truly, um, you know, just was just God showing off. And, and, and to me, you know, through all this, he's, he's taught me a few things. And, and it's funny because John has been basically um, essentially preaching on exactly what, what, I, what, he, what God's been teaching me. And the first is, that, um, you know, God's, the, the tithing, you know, our tithing is, stretches us beyond our financial benefit, you know, that, that money provides. When we commit to tithing, we, for us at least, for my family, we commit to putting God first. And ultimately, when I trust that God is first in my life and my money, I can more easily trust him in other places in my life. But secondly, that our regular discipline of tithing is truly an investment in the future. And that's what John was talking about. You know, when we faithfully invest in God's kingdom, there will always be a return. We'll always see a return on that investment. It may not be a return that we personally see. It may not be in the way that we expect. Um, It's most likely not in the way that we expect. But um, for us, it's another trust exercise. It's trusting that God knows infinitely more about my money and my finances and how my tithe should be used than I do. And that all he promises is that what we give, whether it's our money or our time, what we invest in the church will be used to glorify him and further his kingdom. And so that's my tithing story. So thanks for letting me tell it. Most of you don't know Ben Follett. I'll confess to you, I don't know Ben Follett. (laughs) But when I heard that Doug had captured somebody who could share a story about tithing, and you picked up the rest of the story the needs that they had financially. And this is a guy who has a big job with big money. (laughs) I work at home in my pajamas. (laughs) That's the truth. So he really did get dressed up for church this morning. (laughs) That's all I got, man. Oh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you. And what's your wife's name, Ben? Amanda. For Amanda and Ben. Thank you for that uncle who sent the money. Thank you for the way you have blessed Ben and Amanda with a family, blessed them with heaven as a home and a life worth living between here and there. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for his willingness to share in this witness so that we other mere mortals might get serious about the money that really belongs to you that's in our care right now. So continue with Ben and Amanda and with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm nearly finished. A friend of mine that I had dinner with just about a month ago, he's now a bishop in the Anglican Church, and I don't know how we got talking about money But he remembered going to India 
where there is so much stark poverty that stares you in the face in any city or any part of India virtually, for all the wealth that's coming to India today in the high-tech industry, here it's still with vast areas of poverty. It's where Mother Teresa spent her life in India. And he was with a particular pastor who wanted him to speak to his people about tithing, about giving. Well, this rich American, like all of us, rich Americans, said, I would feel absolutely inadequate to speak to your poverty-stricken people about their need to give. And this is what the pastor said to him. Don't you dare deprive my people of the joy of giving. Don't you dare deprive my people of the joy of giving. That story goes on because he did speak to the need to give and share. And in that particular village, the people of his church systematically gave part of whatever they grew or had access to, which was minimal, and prayed about where they might give and to which family, because it wasn't just church families they gave to. And at the end of that year, they realized that throughout their whole village, no one went hungry. No one. They managed to make it. I don't care how impoverished you feel, whether you are the widow with a couple of mites or the divorcee or someone who so accumulated bills you don't know how to deal with this business of giving. My encouragement to you is to tithe your way out of debt. Did you hear that? To tithe your way. Give to God what is his due. He has made promises to you concerning that. When you seek first the kingdom of God, he says everything you need will be added to you. When he says, when, why will you rob me? He said, bring the full tithe into the barn, into the warehouse. Bring it and test me and see whether I will not pour out onto you shaken down together such a return on what you have given to me. God is no one's debtor. My wife and I would bear testimony that we have not been able to outgive God. Now to tell you the truth, we haven't seriously tried to outgive him. I read just this past week, give it a go. Try and outgive God. See whether or not he will come through. But I can tell you beyond the tithe, God has blessed my wife and me and our family beyond measure. And every day we are aware of it and gratefully thank him. Is that your story? Let me close. The battle that rages within you is part of the battle for the soul of America. And if you believe that in, to any in any way, any amount, 
then you have got to get serious about what you do with your resources. And that's the prayer. Bow your heads with me. Oh Lord Jesus, you who were rich beyond all measure, all for love's sake becamest poor, so that we, benighted, spiritually poverty-stricken, desperate, might become rich beyond all measure ourselves, inheriting a kingdom and a home in glory and the promise of your presence in our lives never to leave us nor forsake us, to give to us our daily bread, day by day, to meet our daily needs. Thank you for the comfort you give us in the face of every adversity. Grant to us your peace now and a passion for you and your way, your kingdom, your goodness, your plan for our lives. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus, for your sake, for all that you spent in giving yourself on our behalf. In that name, O Jesus, Saviour and Lord, we pray. Amen.